Welcome to Bethany Bible Fellowship, where we are all about the glory of God and the good of His people. It is a privilege to be able to share this online resource with you, and we pray that it is a blessing to you, that it builds up your faith and encourages you on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Well, I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 18 to 32. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, Ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. If you or I were to get in a conversation with someone about what's wrong with the world. Well, I think it's a pretty safe bet that you'd come up with a thing or two to talk about. In fact, turn to someone and ask them that very same question, and you're probably going to get an earful these days. And that's because there are a lot of problems out there, right? A lot of problems. And for every problem that's out there, well, there's a whole host of opinions, viewpoints, passionate viewpoints. People 
They've gotten pretty bold about their thoughts on things like immigration or, or the economy or the environment or, or abortion, crime, the war in Israel, the war in Ukraine, books that should or should not be present in our school libraries, the rights and privileges of those who identify as this thing or that thing or the other thing, about diversity, equity, and inclusion. The interwebs are are being lit up, aren't they? (laughs) People have been out there protesting in the streets the courts flooded with cases, the airwaves, they're broadcasting the talk tracks of the politicians. Flags are being flown, stickers are placed on the back of our automobiles, shirts vocalizing support for either this or that. It's, it's all over the place. And if we think about it or talk about this stuff long enough, well, we tend to get a little riled, don't we? A little upset, a little passionate. There's a sense of righteous indignation that bubbles up inside us. We get angry. We've identified an enemy out there. There's so many enemies out there that we're identifying and we're ready to lash out in some way. You know, the Bible says that God gets angry. He gets angry. But not in in a wildly emotional sort of, out of control, potentially unjustified sort of way, like the way we often get angry. His anger is described as wrath. And when the Bible's talking about wrath, it's talking about God's fundamental displeasure and, and opposition and righteous, right and proper response towards what's evil. And so when we're thinking about God's wrath, we need to actually be very careful not to impose our own tendencies onto God and think that God is somehow rash or or disproportionately irate in his wrath. No, his wrath is the precise, perfectly just and right response. We mentioned last week that God is perfect in all his ways, all his nature, and and, and all his words prove true. And part of that perfection is his justice. And as a just judge, well, he responds justly to that which is unjust. And that response is wrath. Now, there are different shapes, different forms of God's wrath. There's eternal wrath. That's the ultimate, never-ending punishment that's for those who have rebelled against him. And when you think about it and you look at God's word, who has rebelled against him will all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So everyone is deserving of this eternal wrath. The Bible refers to it as hell. Never-ending state of torment. Separation from the goodness of God, the lake of fire, the place that invokes weeping and gnashing of teeth. We don't use that word gnashing very much, but think of anger, absolute anger towards God. That's eternal wrath. End time. Then there's end times wrath or eschatological wrath. Wrath. The Old Testament prophets, Jesus, the book of Revelation, it tells us that there is a day coming when God is actually going to unleash his judgment 
on the world. In the last days, our world is going to experience a demonstration of the wrath of God. Something to look forward to. There's catastrophic wrath. One pastor calls it cataclysmic wrath. That's all the tragedies, all the harmful happenings that take place in our world. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that, that all creation is actually in bondage to corruption. There are terrible things that are happening in our world. And they happen on the news, and, and the people, the, the talking heads on the news have no problem saying, this is, this is a tragedy, this is a terrible thing. But these things would other not, otherwise not be happening were it not for human sin. And so we experience these terrible earthquakes or waste-laying tsunamis or devastating wildfires or volcanic eruptions. You walk through the now destroyed city of Pompeii and you gotta ask yourself, was this the result of, of God's wrath? The answer is absolutely yes. It's the result of God's wrath. These things did not occur in the pre-fall paradise that God had created. And then you ask, well, are these things being unleashed because of some, some sort of specific sin of these victims? And the answer is, well, maybe. And yeah, absolutely. It could be that the fire, like the fire from heaven that came down on Sodom and Gomorrah, that these people who are victims of these tragedies in our world, that, that they did something especially wicked. In fact, when Melissa and I toured the ruins of Pompeii, you start to see what was going on there, and you go, ah, there's, this was not good. This is the judgment of God here. And then there's other cases where you go, wait a second, this tragedy seemed to befall someone who, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I'm not drawing the connection. I'm not seeing the, the, the state of evil that would be deserving this kind of tragedy. And then you have to go, wait a second. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And every single one of us is subject to, from time to time, this example of God's wrath. It's, it's, it's catastrophic. There's consequential wrath. as a kind of judgment that befalls people for the rebellious choices that they, they make in life. It's, it's a cause and effect kind of thing. It's a reap what you sow kind of thing. Proverbs gives, gives us an example of that. Proverbs 6.27, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? And we all go, well, yeah, of course, unless you have some type of special flame retardant, blah, 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 you know. But yeah, cause and effect, fire burns you. Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Well, so is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. You want a storm? Well, do that. <laughs> Cause and effect, it's, it's a consequence. And that's an example of God's wrath. He's going to allow these consequences to spring up. The final kind of wrath, the form that we have in our passage this morning, is this wrath of abandonment. This is the kind of wrath where God says, is that what you want? Is this how it's going to be? Okay. Go ahead. 
It's the kind of wrath where God says, you know, up to this point, I've had some blockades in place, some bumpers that allowed you to roll the ball down the lane without it completely falling into the gutter. But you know what? I'm removing those. I'm letting you enjoy the full extent of your folly. And this is not a new kind of wrath, this wrath of abandonment. You see it throughout the Bible. One example is, is in the life of Samson. In Judges 16, we read what happened to Samson. He was a man who God had given this incredible, unnatural strength. But as he kept disobeying the Lord, and as he kept giving into temptation over and over again, God actually lifts his hand of blessing and protection and the special power that he had given Samson. And when Samson finds himself betrayed, he thought he had access to that power once again, and it was gone. He can't even resist his captors. Why? Because verse 20 tells us that unbeknownst to him, the Lord had left him. Another example is in Judges 10. God says to his wayward people, Israel, you've forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you've chosen. Let them save you in your time of distress. And someone might say, well, so what? I don't have supernatural strength. I don't need supernatural strength. And you know what? I'm not in distress right now. So who really cares if this so-called God leaves me alone? In fact, I'd actually prefer that. Why can't he just mind his own business? Well, let me ask you something. Do you know what it's like to have something taken away and then all of a sudden to realize how much, how good you had it before that thing was taken away? Do you, do you remember feeling what it was like to experience COVID? And all of a sudden, rights and privileges started vanishing before you, your eyes. I don't know about you, but I had a sense of mourning and grief during that season. Do you feel it when inflation begins to rise? Do you feel it when freedoms that you took for granted are suddenly not available anymore? You know, James 17, or 117 says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, you may not realize it, but everything that you enjoy right now, every bite of delicious food, and every ray of, of life-giving sunshine, every drop of moisture that sits in your three-gallon Stanley tumbler that you tote around, <laughs> every ounce of strength, every ability that you, you, you have to, to, to put out words and form them in coherent sentences, all that and so much more. I mean, we're talking joy and peace and fulfillment and hope. All of that is a re direct result of the one that we're talking about here. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. 
What happens when the one who's holding it all together decides to step away? And what happens when he decides to go all Proverbs 127 on you? <laughs> because I've called you and you refuse to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one's heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but will not find me. And you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound very nice. I don't know if I want that. Let's not do that. Let's not go there. But the reality is, based upon what Paul is telling us in this passage today, we're already there. The zombie apocalypse has already begun. It's the place in the life cycle of a nation or a people that refuses to acknowledge and obey God where he just lets them go so that they can devour themselves. And some of us don't realize that this is where we're at here because we were just born into this. Those of us who are younger, those of us who are younger. Uh, <laughs> and so we just think it's just the way things are. This is the way it's always been. This is just normal. For others, it's been this slow progression that's, that's kind of gone un, unnoticed. You know, it's the frog in that pot of water that's just slowly warming to a boil. And, and it's just ever so slow. And it's just, we don't, we don't even notice. Still others, we've noticed the change. Witnessed the changes. We've taken note of them. We've been upset about them. We've grumbled and complained because of them. And yet, because we're so accustomed to this just go with the flow kind of SoCal lifestyle and our addiction to comfort and pleasure, we just ride those waves, don't we? We ride the waves and ultimately allow the current to take us along with it. Regardless of how we got here, the reality is we're here. And let me show you how I know that's true. How do you know if you're experiencing the wrath of God's abandonment? Paul gives us the signs, first one in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That phrase, the lust of their hearts, that refers to sexual immorality. In the beginning, God made it clear that there was purpose behind this very intentional design of his, design of men and design of women. He created them male and female in his image. They were to reflect him in how they look, in how they are, in how they behave. That's Genesis 1.27. Genesis 2.24, we read, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh. We see a little bit more of God's design here. Then we go all the way forward to Matthew, and we see in Matthew 19, Jesus affirms this very same thing. So for those who say, well, Jesus, you know, he, he would be on board with all of this different stuff that we see going on in the world today. Wait, wait a second. No, Jesus affirms the very beginning, the design here, and then he adds, so they were no longer Two, but one flesh. And he adds, 
What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That might sound familiar. You may have heard that in a wedding ceremony. He doesn't stop there. In verse 9, he says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The intimacy that a man and his wife are designed to share together, this is not and never was for cheap thrills. This is not a a hedonistic pleasure romp here or some type of free love frenzy where people just jump from one place to another, from one bed, one person to another. No, this relationship between a man and a woman was purposeful. It was to be exclusive and it was to be long lasting. And it was to bring about new life. The creation act continues in these image bearers of God that he has created and they were to raise that new life in a way that oriented it back to him. Well, we've pretty much loused that up, haven't we? We've gone from sex before marriage to extramarital sex during marriage to breaking off these marriages that have been sealed wholly sealed before the face of God to carrying around with us these pornography generators in the palms of our hands these days. We've gone from looking at children as gifts from God to now being obstacles that we need to get out of the way of our fun. (laughs) And so we take pills that quietly extinguish their lives so we don't even have to ever even see them. Or we vote for candidates that swear to protect our rights to get rid, to get rid of these little inconveniences, whether they're one moment old or nine months old. You know, as long as they they don't make it to the open air, we're we're, we're good. We should be able to call the shots here. We got to protect our right to sex without boundaries, sex without consequences. And there's evidence all around us, isn't there, of sexual immorality. All you have to look at is the buffet being served up to us through all the streaming services we have these days. How many of the new series that are coming out these days have that little label, TVMA? And we know what that means, don't we? And how many of us are willing to eat it up because we just can't keep ourselves from consuming? We're so quick to say, well, at least I'm not doing that. Let, let, me, let me point out all these things out there. Do you see all these? Look how bad it is. It is terrible out there. You know, I think it's so very interesting that so many Christians will get on a high horse and we will raise a flag, we'll wear a t-shirt, we'll put the sticker on our cars in support of a righteous cause. There's no shortage of them. Don't tread on me. Vote Republican, close the border, stop the surgeries. You know, it's easy to think that we're the good guys and not the brain-munching zombies. It's easy to think that we're the righteous ones because we're taking a stand against those who are, well, the reality is they're just a little further down in the pit. I'm afraid that many of us have become so accustomed to the muck 
we don't even notice that we're neck deep in the stuff. And how many of us are casually indulging in the very things that give evidence of God's abandoning wrath? Are you tracking with me? I don't like talking about this. Do you find yourself appalled by what is being taught in the public schools or being paraded around your city, but oblivious to the ways that your own life is steeped in immorality? Men, are you pointing the finger of one hand at the corruption you see out there and you're using the one in the other hand to summon up images on your device to feed your lust? Ladies, are you sickened by some of the things you see going on in your world, but you're willing to let that big, beautiful screen slow drip them before your eyes for the sake of a good drama or a good comedy? We need a good laugh, especially in this world of ours. Are we so numb? Are we so callous that we don't notice? Are we so dense that we don't get it? Are we so addicted? that we just can't say no to it. Those are just a couple of of examples. This week in our community groups, let's explore this. Let's dive in. This, This week, let's set aside some quiet time with the Lord. Grab a pencil and paper and just start journaling. Let's let's dive into this because this really matters. If this brings about the wrath of God's abandonment, then this has no place in our lives. That's the first sign, sexual immorality. The second is like it. It's just a little deeper into the pit. Verse 26 says this, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Dishonorable passions. Those are shameful passions. You know, it's one thing to be passionate about, to have a strong drive to pursue sexual fulfillment with a person of the opposite sex. That at least fits within the framework of God's design. But what Paul is talking about here is a step away from that design What he was talking about before were impure desires. These are impure, impure actions here. Now he turns to the ones that are disgraceful, that are despicable. Women desiring each other. Men seeking sexual gratification with one another. Pastor John MacArthur, he points out that it's actually significant here that that Paul lists the women first. Because historically, lesbianism is extremely abnormal. There's plenty of writings in antiquity that make mention of men committing homosexual acts with each other. Yeah, the men, of course, yeah, they're they're insatiable. But where are the writings that refer to lesbianism? There, There are so few. And he says, when a society mainstreams and celebrates and and brings women up to the front of the parade, 
well, then you know you have a society that is really far gone. You know, a few years ago when I was doing youth ministry, we were always talking about, it's going to get bad, it's going to get bad, it's going to get bad. This, this stuff is coming. Be ready for this stuff. It's coming. <laughs> it came. <laughs> and we're actually several steps beyond this now, aren't we? <laughs> Sexual immorality, homosexuality, bisexuality, that actually feels kind of normal these days compared to the other depravities that are being propagated there in our culture. Transgenderism, Drag queen storybook hours for children in our libraries? Gender reassignment, let's be honest, mutilation surgeries. Paul tells us, you know, when you see lesbianism, when you see homosexuality practiced in your society, you have evidence of something. God's abandoned you. That's, that stuff is old news for us, isn't it? These days, our kids in our schools, they're feeling social pressure to be anything but what God designed them to be. Being straight, that's not cool. That is not cool. That's, uh, that's uninformed. That's for the ones who are not in touch. It's not in vogue anymore. You know, it's not normal anymore. It's, it's actually abnormal. We got actresses like Anne Hathaway. They're standing up. They're saying, they're talking about the myth of heteronormativity. We're at a point where we're convincing ourselves that this whole man-woman stuff that God designed to propagate the species, that shouldn't be the norm anymore. In fact, that was a myth from from the very beginning. It's all the other letters of the alphabet that should be the norm here. And if we're honest, it's the things that produce confusion and depression and disease and lead to extinction. No, those are the lifestyles that should be the norm. This is where we at. Has any of this become normal for you? Sexual immorality, shameful passions, the third sign of abandonment, dysfunctional, or as the ESV translated, debased minds. Verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. A debased mind. It's one that doesn't work as it was meant to work. It's dysfunctional. It's become weak. It's become feeble. It's unable to think the way it was made to think. And this is the point where we can't even figure out what's up or what's down anymore, what's right or what's wrong anymore. We don't know what should be praised. We don't know what should be condemned. The God-implanted mechanism that exists in here at once told us something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. It's dead. Now it actually often says, no, this is good, this is good, this is good. And so what happens? Well, you encounter a sermon like this, And you hear things like sex before marriage is not okay. And pornography, that's immoral. And homosexuality and lesbianism, transgenderism should not be praised. Instead, they should be condemned. And you go, how could you say that's your thing? How could you say that? How could you be so backward? So unkind? So unloving? So hateful? Do you see that kind of response in our society? It's a sure sign that you're not in danger of God abandoning you. It's already happened. You've been abandoned. 
And maybe you're, you're here or, or listening to this online and, and you're hearing some of those same reactions go off inside of you, inside your head, inside your heart. Maybe you're shifting in your seat a little bit. You're feeling like maybe you came to the wrong church this morning. Pains me to say this. But it's not just your society that's been abandoned. Where do we go from here? Paul tells us, verse 28. Let's look at it again. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Thank goodness we don't see any of that going on in our society these days, right? That's every day. Every single day. I wake up in the morning, I spend some time with God, and then I turn on the news because I just, I just want to see what happens, you know, what's going on, even knowing that what I'm seeing on the news is probably you know, not even reality. But I watch that ticker tape at the bottom. You ever watch the ticker tape at the bottom that goes by? It's like you start seeing those things that are really going on. They're talking about pets and you know, food, places to eat in Southern California and whatnot, and down at the bottom, so-and-so was murdered here, and so-and-so was molested here, and blah, 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 blah. And you go, oh, I think I'm drinking too much coffee here. <laughs> I'm getting upset. It's everywhere. Do you see a problem when you go to buy... I know this happens to you. You go to buy 50 feet of Romex wire or you go to buy those three-inch chlorine tablets at your local hardware store and you go to grab them and you're like, they're all locked up. What? I can't get, I got to go find someone to get this stuff and I go talk to the guy, the poor guy at the register and he says, yeah, we had to because people are just walking in pushing two shopping carts and they're taking those 40 pound boxes of chlorine tablets that yeah, we're selling for $200, sorry about that. And they're loading up their carts with thousands of dollars worth of chlorine. They're pushing them right past and waving. And all I can do is say, thank you, come again. Problem? When you read in the news, that 11-year sentences are being handed out to people who are trying to discourage the murder of unborn children. The next day, you discover that those guys who made the gay sex tape in the Senate office building aren't going to be charged with anything. Something's wrong. See where we're at here? Evidence is all around us. God's given us over. The people of our nation, they're filled with every manner of unrighteousness. And someone says, how did we get here? Why would God do this to us? How could he let our great Christian nation go down this road? And Paul gives the answer. It begins when people decide to suppress the truth. 
The wrath of God is real from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's not that they didn't have the truth. No, they had it. That's undeniable. You have to have the truth to actually suppress the truth. We have it. Verse 19 says, what can be known about God? It's plain to them because God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. Paul says everything around them, it shouted to them, shouted to the God-given mechanisms inside their skulls of this reality. This didn't just happen. They know that every effect has a cause. That's basic. My six-year-old, she's watching this ridiculous cartoon called Mouse Cookie, and it's if-then statements the whole time, and it's driving me crazy. It's like, she gets it, she gets it, she gets it. She knows if she has a cookie, she's going to want that glass. Yes, done, moving on. This is basic. Things don't just appear out of nowhere, especially finely tuned, masterfully crafted things. And things that require just the right amount of balance to exist, just the perfect set of variables and circumstances to survive, well, they have to have those conditions established for them. And even when those conditions exist in their absolute optimum state, that doesn't result in a spontaneous development of that complex machine or that complex system or that complex organism. No, we should have known better. Even with this ridiculous theory of Charles Darwin's that isn't even remotely plausible given billions of years, we should know better. Our rational brain should at the very least have like this gnawing sense that there must be some type of powerful personal designer behind all this. How do you get personality from non-personality? But what do we do? Well, we suppress the truth that's in plain sight. We tell ourselves there can't be a God who's holding us accountable. Why, why, Why do we do this? Well, because we don't like the truth. We don't want the truth because we'd rather it be that human beings were just merely here by accident. There's no designer who has a right to tell us how we should behave or or what really should matter to us or who we actually are because we would much rather like to think that we're the masters of of our destinies. We want to believe that what we feel inside is actually more real than what we observe in plain sight. We can be anything we wish to be. That there's nothing wrong with pursuing pleasure and self-satisfaction as we see fit. And when anyone hints to the contrary, well, we resent them. We, We have a fit. Not only do we have evidence of God in all that we see around us, Romans 2.15, we're going to get there someday. Romans 2.15, it tells us We have the law of God written on our hearts. There's something inside of us that God put there that whispers. It whispers about what's right. And it whispers about what's wrong. There's a third thing we have. Here in the United States, most of the world, we have... (laughs) 
God's revealed truth. This is available to us at a, at a, at a swipe of our finger. We've had it, we've heard it, we've known it for a long time. But we've suppressed it. And because of that, Paul says, we have no excuse. We, we can't protest. We, did, we didn't know. No, we knew all right. Even those of us who don't have all five senses working quite right, we have more than enough evidence. How do you bring God's wrath of abandonment upon yourself? How, how does your nation move in that direction? You suppress the truth. You shut it down. You devise ways to explain it away. Secondly, you reject the one who created you. For although they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why would God abandon people that he created? Well, it's very simple. We rejected him. We decided we're not going to honor him. We're not going to recognize him. Let's, let's fight to get any mention of him taken out of our schools. Let's remove the commandments from the front of our courthouses, even though we know that our laws are based on those things. Let's, let's make it actually embarrassing for anyone to admit in the workplace that they actually believe in God. And let's make it a disqualifying thing for anyone who wants to hold public office. Not only do we not honor him, Paul says, we don't thank him. No, don't thank him. No, in our minds, he has nothing to do with our success. Our prosperity, our resources, our intelligence, our minds have come to, to, to believe. Yeah, they might come from somewhere, certainly not from God. And so we reject the creator. Third, we believe the lies. Verse 22 says, claiming to be wise, we, we, we become fools. So we've told ourselves lies. We've made up stories to explain this new reality that we prefer to the reality that God actually exists. We pat ourselves on the backs for it, actually. We give ourselves trophies for it, medals, diplomas, titles, accolades. We celebrate each other. Big ceremonies, write books, we plaster each other's picture all over the place. This is a star. This is the one who should be in the limelight. Verse 32 says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Yeah. Well, we know what's up. And we're not ashamed to say it. Yeah, you're following along? You're doing it too? According to Paul, we've given to God just one more reason to unleash his wrath, to cut us loose and let us go our own way. Finally, one, one last step in the road to abandonment. Misplaced worship. Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the crowning stupidity that Paul places on the heads of these people. <laughs> It's one thing to suppress the truth. It's one thing to reject God. Believe your own lies, okay, but to bow down and worship anything other than the magnificent, the unrivaled, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-good, holy, holy, holy God is lunacy. You're going to worship that stick that you carved? 
<laughs> or that rock man that you chiseled? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you mean to tell me that rather than the one who formed heaven and earth, you're going to worship some trees? Some beavers? You're going to worship the planet? You're going to worship the sun? You're going to worship that money that is so easily taken away from you? You're going to worship sex that feels good? Never leaves you satisfied, not for long. Might even give you a little gift. Venereal disease. You're going to worship diversity and equity and inclusion, okay? You're going to worship those crystals. Lots of them over in Sedona. You've got to be kidding me. You think that's better than my way? And in light of that, the creator says, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm giving you over to it. Knock yourself out. Because I've called you. You refuse to listen. Stretched out my hand. No one's heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel. To have none of my reproof. I'll also, I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. They'll call upon me, but I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but will not find me. Our nation is not in danger of it, is it? Not in danger of it, it's experiencing it. We really, truly are. God's given us over. And in his wrath, he has abandoned us. And after all that, you might be thinking, well, gee, thanks, Paul. What a refreshing way to start my week. Or maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I can't tell you how glad I am I came to Bethany today instead of sleeping in, having that second cup of coffee. And what's really the point of telling anyone that they have been abandoned by God? Can't you just let them go their marriage? He abandoned them. Why don't you abandon them too? Just let them go here. Paul, why do you even bother sharing this with us? You want the answer? Because the same God who's given us over is saying, come back. He said it to Israel back in Psalm 81. They turned their backs on him. He gave them over to their stubborn hearts, it says. The same thing he said to, us, to them, he says to us, oh, that you would listen to me and walk again in my ways. This is why Paul writes this immediately after verses 16 and 17. Why? Because what he's talking about, this gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ, this is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It doesn't matter how far down you are in that pit. And to appreciate the good news, to value it, to embrace it, you and I, the people of our nation they need to understand our need for it. And guess what? They don't, they won't understand their need for it if we as Christians are just going to go right along with them and say, oh, that's what you want me to call you? Okay, I'll call you that. Oh, oh you're getting married over here to a person of the same sex? Okay, well... Well, I care about you, so I'll go. They aren't going to get it. They need to see it. You know, sometimes the most loving thing that you or I could do could be 
the hardest thing, the thing that is gut-wrenching inside to us, and just calling it like it is, like Paul here, and saying, this is, this is the reality. We're a people that's, you know, we're so good at identifying evildoers out there, aren't we? We love to zero in on the ones who are truly bad, and, and sometimes we want to draw swords. We think that we're the righteous ones. We think that we're the zombie slayers, but in reality, we stand con- condemned as well, don't we? When we take an honest look at what Paul says God gives us over to, we go, wait a second, I've got some of that in my life. And we realize we're in desperate need of rescue. Through Jesus Christ, the call in Isaiah 45, 22 goes out, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. It's God calling you. Maybe, maybe you're, you're listening, you're watching this. God calling you. Do you find yourself somewhere in this description of Paul's here? Is the Spirit speaking to you, opening your eyes to the reality of your wandering, is telling you that you need forgiveness, the salvation, the transformation that is only available through Jesus Christ, the Savior who is sent into the world to make payment for my sin and for your sin. Fling wide open that door for you to return back to this God who made you and loves you, who let you go your own way, but has arms like that prodigal son's father open wide for you to come home. Now, if that's you, would you make this simple confession to God right now and just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner, gone my own way. I know I'm, I'm fully deserving of your, your wrath, the wrath that's coming, the wrath I'm experiencing right now. But I also know that because Jesus took my place on the cross, by faith in him, I can be forgiven. Thank you for loving me. Take my life, take me back, make me yours. And for those of us that have already trusted, but we find ourselves making our way through a culture that has so thoroughly strayed from the creator And we start seeing how the culture is rubbed off on us as well. Let's go back to the foot of the cross where the reality of our sin meets the blood of our Savior and is washed away. Let me invite you to close your eyes. Take a moment to speak to God. Confess your sin. With David... Say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's let that be our prayer this morning. Thanks for listening to this message from Bethany Bible Fellowship. For more resources, visit our website at bbfoc.org.